The North Country figures significantly in the birth of our nation. A young U.S. government ordered the British to leave Ogdensburg in 1796. The Battle of Plattsburgh was a key victory for the United States in the War of 1812. But before all that, Ticonderoga was a hinge point between the British and the French, guarding access to Lake George and Lake Champlain. That history lives on through reenactments at Fort Ticonderoga. We make a visit on today's Story of the Day. Support for Story of the Day comes from Clarkson University, offering over 95 programs of study with campuses in the Hudson Valley, Central, and Northern New York. More at clarkson.edu. Hey, I'm David Summerstein. It's Friday, October 13th. Don't say it. First up, New York Governor Kathy Hochul and Attorney General Tish James are pushing for two bills that would make New York a leader in protecting children from some of the harm caused by using social media. Karen DeWitt reports one of the bills would bar social media companies from harvesting personal data from minors' online accounts. Our children are in crisis, and it's up to us to save them. Governor Hochul cites a warning from the U.S. Surgeon General that says children who spend three hours or more a day on social media are twice as likely to experience depression. Rates of self-harm among 10 to 14-year-old girls have risen by 200 percent since social media companies started using algorithms more regularly to determine what a user sees in their feed. Some teen suicides have been attributed to social media use. Hochul says the companies like TikTok, YouTube, and X, formerly known as Twitter, employ sophisticated and toxic algorithms, and she says teenage girls are especially vulnerable. You understand how an algorithm works? It follows you. It preys on you. You don't ask for this content. It finds its way to you by very sophisticated ways that the social media companies have created to continue bombarding you and penetrating your mind with images and thoughts. Kathleen Spence says her daughter Alexis created an Instagram account without her parents' consent when she was 11 years old to play an online game associated with a brand of stuffed animals. The innocent fun took a dark turn when Alexis started clicking on posts about fitness and body image. She ended up on sites promoting anorexia, and she developed an eating disorder. It took years for our daughter to overcome her social media addiction and to finally recover from her eating disorder, her self-harm, and her attempt to take her own life. Alexis is now 21. The measures include the Safe for Kids Act. It would require social media companies to get parental consent before applying algorithms to minors' accounts. Parents would also have to give permission for notifications to appear on their children's phones and tablets between midnight and 6 a.m. Another bill, the Children's Privacy Act, would forbid social media companies from harvesting personal data from minors. Violators could face fines of up to $5,000 for each instance. Attorney General James would be empowered to enforce those laws and impose the penalties. James says the bills are crafted to withstand potential constitutional challenges, and she says they do not in any way prohibit children's participation on platforms where they meet the minimum age requirement. Both of these bills will in no way block minors or anyone from accessing social media platforms. Minors will have the same access they did before to connect with friends, search for topics of interest, and join groups. They just won't be shown addictive feeds unless their parents consent to it. 
The measures are sponsored in the Senate by Andrew Gonardas and in the Assembly by Nilly Rosick. Both are majority party Democrats. The measures won't be acted on, though, until the legislature comes back for the 2024 session in January. The governor, attorney general, and bill sponsors say they expect stiff resistance from the tech industry, which has a large corporate presence in New York. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Fort Ticonderoga is a beautiful blast from the past. Looking out over the shores of Lake Champlain, the 18th century stone fort was the site of numerous battles and occupations during the Seven Years' War. That's what we used to call the French and Indian War. Nowadays, things are calmer. The only soldiers there are the fort's interpreters, who are more interested in teaching you about history than fighting you with muskets. Anna Williams Bergen went to Fort Ticonderoga recently and sent us this audio postcard. It's 1760. Soldiers dressed in brightly colored uniforms roam the grounds. There's a faint smell of campfire smoke in the air, and all around me, reenactors are performing their tasks, tending to the garden, chopping wood. I first meet Yol Lacour, dressed up in a bright red vest and wool hat. They're perched outside the boathouse with a lap full of thick canvas fabric. I am practicing the trade of sailmaking, um, and I'm specifically making a 18th century bell tent, which is a military storage tent for muskets. It's a cone shape, um, and it's made of 16 triangular panels that are stitched together by hand. Lacour wields a thick needle, probably as long as one of my fingers. Getting it through the fabric takes a pretty strong yank, so it's kind of slow going. I started about a year ago, and since then I've made two and a half tents so far. Um, This is going to be the third tent that I finish. At Fort Ticonderoga, there are dozens of people who work all summer doing trades and tending animals. Their job is to bring the 1700s alive for the thousands of tourists who come to visit each summer. In a nearby field, Cameron Green is fielding visitors' questions about the fort's resonant oxen. Yeah, exactly. You castrate them. You actually train them to work for four years, and then they graduate to become oxen. So before that, they're just called working steers. Green is the director of interpretation here at the fort, and he's also the one in charge of the two 1,500-pound animals. Can you introduce them for me? Yeah, so this is Mick here. Uh, He's our Niox, and then uh, we have Mac over there. He's our Off-Ox. He is the talkative. Your Off-Ox, being further away from the driver, tends to uh, be a little mischievous. Mick and Mac are enormous, tall, wide, and barrel-chested. They're yoked together with a big wooden harness. Attached to the yoke is a thick hook and a chain for hauling. Mick and Mac uh, here, they do a lot of work for us. Uh, Today they're doing logging uh, as we're pulling logs out of the woods to split into fence rails for their own pastures. Mick, Mac, get up. Get up. Get up, Mick. The oxen ramble off with their log in tow, so I wander over to the employee break room, a modest wooden house that seems to double as a garden shed. That's where I bump into Ida Buyan, one of the people responsible for maintaining the fort's colorful gardens. She told me there's a special patch with vegetables chosen from a 1760 seed list. 
wedge are potatoes, carrots, pumpkins, and cabbage. Staff in period costume come down every morning to pick the vegetables and cook up a meal. I asked her if the food tastes any good. I don't know about that. I asked because I know what they would take, and it was somewhat unusual. So usually I got the response of, "Well, it's edible." That's probably what it was like for the soldiers back then, anyways. She tells me. Knickknack. G. G. Oh. Oh. Back in the field, Cameron Green is splitting the logs that Mick and Mac hauled out of the woods. It's hard work hammering iron wedges into the log with a wooden mallet. Most of it's locust, but there's a few, a few oak, hornbeam that are proven a little difficult to split, but we're getting through it. It's getting close to noon, and the sun is beating down. While the humans work, oxen Mick and Mac get to take a break in the shade. <laughs> Lucky for them, all of their hard work has come with a reward: lots of scratches under the chin. I do like to be. <laughs> Anna Williams Bergen, North Country Public Radio at Fort Ticonderoga. Fort Ticonderoga's regular season ends on October 29th. Workshops, living history events, and a virtual author series will continue into the winter. We're wrapping up our first week of our fall fundraiser. You and your neighbors paying for this local journalism. Make your donation now at ncpr.org slash give and keep up the momentum. We still have a lot left to raise to get to our $350,000 goal. Make your donation now at ncpr.org slash give. Thanks so much. Music today by Martha Gallagher of Keene and Jared Stephen Doyle of Potsdam. I'm David Summerstein, North Country Public Radio.